The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. In these chaotic times, many people are talking about a loss of confidence in being able to create a life of success and value. In the next hour, we'll hear from people who have faced challenges in their lives and thrived. Welcome to Louise Cohen's Changing Obstacles into New Possibilities. In her program, she will also help you work on a different strategy for success each week. And now, here's your host, Louise Cohen. Good afternoon, everyone. Happy to be with you again on Changing Obstacles into New Possibilities. Hope you had a good week and a holiday weekend. You know, yesterday's holiday brings up lots of mixed emotions for many people. If any of my listeners heard last week's show, we discussed the idea of creating peace in our lives. But our Memorial Day holiday kind of reminds us that we haven't yet achieved that goal. So many wonderful men and women have lost their lives or their independence due to injury because they felt a dedication to fight for our country in order to achieve peace. As you heard last week, many people are striving to achieve peace in many different ways. But no matter what your view is on striving or fighting for peace, we can all honor those men and women who lost so much to keep others safe. But again, I want to remind my listeners that my show, my agenda, is not a political agenda. So... Instead, I focus on information that will help my audience begin to try to overcome their crisis and create new opportunities. First, let me clarify that there are many kinds of crises that we experience in our life journey, as you all know, such as the loss of a loved one, illness, financial crisis, loss of a business, loss of a job, loss of a home. There are special challenges when our children are in crisis or if we're in the middle of a divorce. I know my audience could add their own challenges to this list. While we have to acknowledge these crises as being very difficult, the goal of this show is not to focus on the crises, but how to create the new opportunities. Is it really possible when we're overwhelmed with crises to even think about creating a new opportunity? I I would really love to hear my audience and their opinion on that. I don't know if some of you have heard, I know many people have heard about this idea of a Chinese, it's, a, it's not a letter, but it's a character, a Chinese character, and it means both crisis and opportunity, which is kind of interesting. How can crisis turn into an opportunity? Often when we're in the middle of the crisis, we're just trying to get through it and not really thinking of anything else. We may also be experiencing some emotional pain and feeling sorry for ourselves, and of course that's very natural. But when the smoke clears, we have to decide if we're going to stay a victim of our crisis or our suffering. Are we going to take steps to begin to open our future in a different way? You know, even though we may not choose to have these unexpected crises in our life, it may force us to look at our life in a new way. Many of us who go through these painful losses or crises think, well, they have nothing left of value in their life after they've gone through this. So much of our idea of success is based on our house or our job or our physical appearance or a special person in our life. But it's this push to find new answers when that happens. 
and it helps us to evaluate our life differently. That's when crisis can turn into opportunity. Before the crisis hit, we may have made certain commitments to important people in our lives. If we have made commitments to accomplish certain goals, will the crisis turn us away from going forward on those goals and commitments? And what about the commitment to ourself to fulfill our own important goals and values? Today's show is focused on determination as a way to turn crisis into opportunity. What does determination mean to you? I know it has a lot of different meaning for different people. Interestingly enough, I decided to look in the dictionary, and interestingly enough, the dictionary offered a very simple meaning. In the dictionary, it says, determination is firmness of purpose. Just just that simple, firmness of purpose. It's easy enough to be firm in your purpose when we don't have any difficulties, but what happens when we have an unexpected crisis? I often have to remind my clients when they go through crises that sometimes it's the test and the challenges of the crisis that actually help us to realize our firmness of purpose. We may not even realize the value of our commitment until we find we may lose it and then have to decide, are we going to let it go? We may not even realize the strength of our determination until we have to go forward and decide if we're going to make the commitment or let it go. It can be very difficult to go forward on our commitment when we are suffering or in pain or confusion, but I am convinced that we all have more strength and determination than we realize. I see this example every day in my clients, in my family members, in my colleagues, in my friends, and I even surprise myself sometimes with my determination. Well, you're definitely going to see this example of determination in my guest today, Dale Spencer. But before I introduce Dale, I want to give my audience the skill to practice for the week, turning crisis into opportunity. The first thing to practice to turn crisis into opportunity is to get support and new information to deal with the losses of the trauma. Notice I say practice because I want to point out to my listeners that if you are used to being independent and successful in accomplishing your goals, you may have difficulty asking for help. When we're in the middle of a crisis, we may be experiencing a flooding of emotions, physical weakness, and a loss of motivation. This can be a natural response to the shock of the crisis, and it doesn't mean we have lost our ability to function successfully. By getting new information and support, you can move through the crisis more quickly. Next, it's important to practice doing positive self-talk. And what I mean is that when you're feeling overwhelmed with the losses or failures, it's helpful to remind yourself even all through the day of your past successes and your present successes. This keeps you focused in a positive way. Third, evaluate the commitment you made before the unexpected crisis happened. How important were these commitments to your work, your family, your relationships, and to yourself? If you decide that these commitments are goals that you feel are something of value to you and to the people who are important in your life, then you start with small steps, and I emphasize small steps, each day to achieve the goal that you had established before the crisis hit. Achieving small steps every day can start to build your confidence again. And at last, uh, practicing determination, it means to just keep trying again and again and again. Even when you're feeling sad or overwhelmed or hopeless, keep trying again. Dennis Waitley reminds us in his quote that determination gives you the resolve to keep going in spite of the roadblocks that lay before you. 
Well, this is a quote that is a perfect introduction to my guest, Dale Spencer. Well, welcome, Dale. Thank you so much for joining me on Changing Obstacles into New Possibilities. Glad to be here. I am so pleased. Uh, he, he, Dale has is, is got such a wonderful uh, history and experience to share with us, so we'll be hearing a little about that. But uh, before we get into the show, let me uh, tell our listeners a little about you, Dale. So, on his way to meeting college friends on a December night in 1988, Dale took a fateful step falling 40 feet into a river, leaving him paralyzed from the hips down. After surgeries and grueling physical rehab, he returned to college occupying a wheelchair. Amazingly, he became chairman for Delta Sigma Phi activities and VP to the Interfraternity Council and graduated in 1991 from NIU. After graduation, Dale started some interesting businesses, including an independent film company with a frat brother winning many film festival awards. Dale is creating now, creating new possibilities for others with his efforts on his local board of ed and his appointment to the National Board of Directors for Think First National Injury Prevention Foundation. It focuses on spinal cord and traumatic injury prevention through education, research, and policy. He educates students to think first, use your mind to protect your body. Currently, he is a chairperson for the Resource Development and Voice for Injury Prevention Council and won one of their highest awards. And to get to Dale, you want to go to www.facebook.com slash Dale, D-A-L-E-J, Spencer, S-P-E-N-C-E-R. Well, Dale, what an inspiring bio of turning crisis into opportunity with determination. So, you know, here you were, a young man in college, imagining your whole future in front of you when you had this unexpected traumatic accident. Would you be willing to tell our listeners what was your life like before the accident and some of your hopes and dreams before the uh, accident, some of your hopes and dreams for the future before that accident um, happened? Sure, Louise. You know, in the first 20 years of my life, I was an able-bodied person. I was able to walk, run, jump, the, the whole works. I uh, was involved in a lot of sports, um, wrestling, baseball, and uh, horseback riding. I actually did rodeos. I just was all over the place, very active kid. And with that being very active, I actually took a lot of risks. And one of those risks, unfortunately, I did sustain um, a spinal cord injury. Um, you know, before this actual incident happened, Yes, I had some major dreams. I mean, you're, you're talking about getting through college, uh, getting your degree, getting in business, and really just moving on in the real world. Um, something like this, obviously, is, is, is a setback, and um, even when it happened, didn't even realize what was really in store for me because I really didn't have the exposure of um, a situation like that, going through the hospital, going through rehabilitation, and keeping myself healthy, and worrying about uh, going to the bathroom. I mean, just simple individual tasks during the course of the day, I didn't realize. And you know what I always say? It sounds like a cliche. I did take things for granted, and that's really taught me a lesson. Wow, what what an incredible... I mean, when I think about the fact that you were not only able-bodied, but was was so active in sports, what what a tremendous change that must have been. Well, you know, I, I... I know that our, uh, you've probably told the story a million times, Dale, but I, I think our listeners would probably like to, to understand better what happened on that night of the accident. 
Oh, absolutely. It was uh, the weekend before finals. It was December of 1988, and I was with uh, a bunch of fraternity brothers. We decided to um, uh, participate in a scavenger hunt. We were hiding some things for um, other members of our house. Well, uh, after we were done, we were on our way to a party. We were doing this all on foot. There was about five or six of us. And we come up on a railroad trestle. Now, mind you, it's about 12.30, 1 o'clock in the morning, so it's a very poorly lit area. We get in this, these railroad tracks, obviously somewhere nobody should be in the first place, but we thought at the time, you know what, not a big deal. So we're kind of all spread apart, walking across. I come upon a railroad trestle, and for those out there that, who don't know what a railroad trestle is, it's, it's similar to a bridge, but in this case, it was a set of two tracks with an opening in the middle. So. Mm-hmm. I was uh, walking across, and I lost my balance, slipped on one of the ties, and I fell between the set of the tracks. And I did land in the Kishwaukee River, which is at Northern Illinois University, which is west of uh, western suburb of Chicago. Oh, it! I, I just just listening to it. It's just uh, chilling, really. Uh, but uh, I didn't. I wasn't aware that you actually were with your friends. I was, and, and you know what? Actually, that was part of the. The deal that saved me. And so what I, I happened think, was, yeah. I'm in the river, I landed, and, and in many instances when people have catastrophic injuries, uh, similar or perhaps even worse than, than mine, um, you know, they could lose consciousness for minutes, hours, days, weeks, perhaps even months. In my case, uh, if for some reason my brain, it was a safety mechanism there, and it shut off the ac- during the actual fall, but I do remember landing in the water. Hmm. I'm on my back. At the side of the river, I'm looking up into the stars, knowing something was uh, definitively wrong, felt for my legs instinctively, and uh, they were numb. I knew I was in trouble. So my first response was to call out to my friends, because I did know that they were in the area. And again, when I told you a minute ago, I was in a very poorly lit area. My friends couldn't see me. So what they had to do was they had to follow my voice. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I don't know if it was minutes. It must have been minutes because when they were walking, if I would have missed them within five minutes, they would have been gone. So it had to have been within minutes. They finally found me. I told them what happened. They knew I was serious. And so uh, what they did was they went straight to a neighborhood house or a neighbor's house. And, and just to let you know, I'm putting it in perspective, this is December of 1988. This is not 2012, so nobody had a pocket cell phone. And I think they barely had those battery phones. It's amazing, isn't it, just the change of time? A little bit of difference there. So they knocked on the door and was able to use the landline over this, uh, this nearby house, called an ambulance. Ambulance came within minutes, and uh, paramedics approached me. Uh, they asked me some questions, and based on the answers that I did give them, they realized that I had some sort of serious back injury. So to prevent further damage, what they did was they took a flat board uh, from their ambulance, they gently put it underneath me, picked me up, and brought me into the ambulance. And from there, they had brought me to the local hospital. Well, what an incredible experience! And do you remember, as you said, your you know your brain kind of shut off? But do you remember um, what you were feeling, like when you got on this board to the hospital? Were you having all kinds of thoughts yet, or were you just kind of shut down? No, I, I remember every moment. I mean, it, literally, the only time I blacked out was the actual fall. So I knew every instant. I mean, it, I, I mean, this has been almost twenty-four years. So I, I feel like it was still yesterday. Incredible. So, you know, not only, okay, 
I'm, I'm paralyzed. I can't move my legs. I'm going to have to get movement sometime in, in the very near future, meaning the next five, ten minutes, perhaps even fifteen. So they had transported me over to the local hospital, and everybody was very kind. And little did I know that I, my whole fraternity was actually waiting in the waiting room over at the local hospital. Oh, how wonderful. You know, they, what support. Oh. oh, well, you know what, That's and that's part of it, too. And I'll, we'll talk a little bit about that down the line in, in a, during the interview because that was a big part of where, you know, how I be, became to who I am right now because if it wasn't for the support of that family and friends, um, I definitely wouldn't have the strength and perseverance that I do now. So that's incredibly important because it's not all on me. It's not about me. Yes, I mean, they have self-motivation, but it has to do with your support group around you, and I've learned that from personal experience. Well, back to the local hospital. I was there probably, I would say, for the next couple of, uh, couple of hours. They really didn't have the facilities to take care of my serious injuries. What they did was they transported me by helicopter over wow. to downtown Chicago over at Northwestern Memorial. Well, I remember this. On the way, the uh, the Helovac uh, paramedic uh, was uh, giving me a prick test every couple of minutes, meaning that they would take a pin and try to feel below the injury or prick me uh, below the level injury and see if I would feel it. And I demanded them to tell me every couple of minutes to, wow. to, to do this. Wow. And, uh, I wanted that movement back right away. And so the flight took uh, probably about an hour to get there. It was within minutes I landed at Mix Field, and they transported me at Northwestern. And that was early Sunday morning. Now, you were really lucky that you were near such a good hospital, weren't you? I mean, uh, the local hospital, as you say, could not perhaps take care of the seriousness of the injury. These doctors over at Northwestern were top notch. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally, probably the top three in the country. Oh, yeah. that's it, that's incredible. It really is. And uh, to tell you a little bit about that, on Sunday morning, I was uh, transported over there by, let's say, 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning. And my operation was uh, was on Tuesday morning. They couldn't so get the quickly. doctors out there. Oh, okay. they, couldn't, mm-hmm. they, they couldn't schedule it. So they had me on this striker bed, which was a bed where every half hour they would move me from laying down on my stomach and moving me up so I'm laying on my back every half hour. So it, uh, it it was a bed that was went 180 back and forth, back and forth. And, you know, the pain started to kick in after the shock wore, had worn off, and uh, it was incredibly painful. And at oh. the same time, but it was only, only physical pain. I mean, I, and I remember this conversation, as I said, like it was yesterday. I mean, I, they actually put me on the phone with my mom when they told her, your son is in a serious in- injury, uh, you need to get down to the hospital right away. And, you know, the first thing out of my mouth was, I'm sorry, Mom, because I know how much pain I would be giving her the heartache that I caused that uh, was from a completely preventable mm-hmm. type of situation. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I can't even imagine what your family and friends must have gone through when they heard about the uh, tragedy. Oh, they must have been uh, so shocked. But I cherish uh, these relationships to this day, but i got to tell you, I, I feel guilty to this moment because I put those people through a lot of pain. I really did. Wow. Well, let's hold that. We're going to get back in just a little bit. We have a break, and um, we'll be coming back with uh, Dale Spencer to hear a lot about his ideas on how to go forward in the future. Talk, talk, talk. 
That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Louise Cohen's new book, Changing Obstacles into New Possibilities, Strategies for Achieving Life Success and Satisfaction, gives us hope again that we can find our way out of the confusion and challenges of today's chaotic life. She shows you how to start getting a new sense of power back in your life by using inspirational quotes and practical skills to deal with your obstacles in new ways. You can order her book in paperback or Kindle edition at Amazon.com or on her website, www.positiveattitudecoaching.com. You can also order from her website her recent book that she co-authored with Deepak Chopra and Jack Canfield called Stepping Stones to Success. Experts share strategies for mastering business, life, and relationships. Be sure to visit positiveattitudecoaching.com today. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Louise Cohen's Changing Obstacles into New Possibilities. To connect with Louise or her guests this week, please call 1-866-472-5788. It's toll-free, 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. So happy to have you all back. We're talking with our guest, Dale Spencer, and I was talking to him at the break about of the incredible experience it must have been to go through the surgery and the rehab process and um, here being in all this pain and, and not knowing what your future is going to be. Um, so, Dale, can you kind of share your perspective of how you, you got through this, uh, what we were telling yourself about your, you know, your, what was going to happen for you, your obstacles in rehab? Absolutely. Just to give you some perspective on this, though, with being having a spinal cord injury, there is no cure for paralysis due to a spinal cord injury. So mm-hmm. what they had to do was they had to replace my vertebrae and my back, and what they did was brought me into intensive care, and then after that, it's not one of those deals where you go through intensive care for a couple of weeks and then you go straight home. There's actually a rehabilitation process. How long and was that process? rehabilitation means different things to different people. Yeah. In my case, it was all about independence. Okay. I needed to get get out and do things on my own. Now, it was really interesting because, you know, I'm about 200 pounds right now. Okay. I lost about 45 pounds hmm. due to the IV, the loss of appetite, being in the hospital, and they had no movement, etc. So I had to build that upper body to compensate for the lower body. Now, so not only going through physical rehabilitation, but that what was entwined with that was occupational therapy. And then for those viewers who don't, are not familiar with occupational therapy, it's actually somebody that helps me be proficient at the, any individual task that you are able to do during the course of the day. Mm-hmm. Now remember, I am you know sitting down now. I'm not standing up. So everything I have to do is is belaboring. I mean, it's very tough and very challenging to do in a situation because I don't have the momentum of my legs. Mm -hmm. We're talking from making a bed 
putting clothes on. You know, putting clothes on, it only takes people, say, a couple minutes to put their clothes on. Incredible. 45 minutes to put my clothes on for the wow, first time. Incredible. Now, wow, incredible. Now, I didn't have most of the patience, you know, uh, uh, of a saint when I, when I was in, before I was injured, but it taught me a lot of patience mm-hmm. because I had to get the task done, and that was my philosophy. I needed to get from point A to point B, and I'm a very focused individual in the fact that when I need to get something done, I don't want any distractions. The pain of the injury, the operation itself, the nerve pain that I still that still occurs in my legs, and I had this back brace from the middle of my chest to the to my hips. It was a corset in the front, and it was steel encased with rubber on the sides and the back, and I couldn't take it off for about three and a half months. Every time I moved, dug in my hips, my pelvis, I was in constant pain. But during that whole time, I went through the grief, the anger, the denial. I had that underlying foundation that I wanted to get back to a normal mm-hmm. life. I don't care mm-hmm. if I was in a chair or not. I needed to get back to a school. I needed to get back to my friends. I needed to move on with my life. Did you ever... See yourself as being so determined. As you said, you you didn't have a lot of patience, so you certainly were probably determined in your life goals. But incredible how you must have developed this um, because of these challenges. You know what, Louise? It's an acquired taste. And <laughs> I'll tell you why. It's because I didn't realize that before I was injured. Acquired taste. <laughs> it was there. I, I guarantee it was always there. But mm-hmm. it was something that I had to work on mm-hmm. on a daily basis on an hourly basis for every little task I had to do from the most rudimentary of uh, things as such as making a bed or even getting myself into a shower or into a shower chair and bathing my body mm-hmm. all the way to getting back to school, driving, living with my fraternity brothers. And that's another thing. I, remember I told you about the normal life thing? Right. So they, they, there was a, a group there called the Department of Rehabilitation Services. What they did was they suggested that or made a recommendation that I move into a wheelchair accessible dormitory. You know what? I wanted none of that. I really pushed to get back in my fraternity house with my brothers. And my brothers had uh, made the place accessible, wheelchair accessible, that is, with the ramps and widening the doorways. Mm -hmm. And um, I got back to school. And those were the bigger goals. And I knew from Mm -hmm. those smaller goals that they were going to escalate not only in time but also in difficulty. And I didn't care. I needed to move forward. I needed to get from point A to point B. And I actually only uh, missed one semester. In fact, I got out of the uh, rehab February of 89, and the only reason I didn't go back to school right away is because I missed the registration for spring semester, so I had to wait till the August Incredible. I mean, it's just incredible. And not only the thing that really impressed me was uh, not only did you say you wanted a quality of life, you went back and you took on these uh, other activities. You were uh, activities chairman for the fraternity and, and that came fraternity. in the semester well, after. I needed, to, <laughs> I needed to get through an adjustment phase. So that, the activities chairman, the IFC thing, interfraternity council, that was senior year. Okay. So mm-hmm. junior year, going back to my junior year, I needed to have an adjustment phase. Now, now picture this. I'm on Greek Row. I'm living literally in an area where I'm the only person that had a visible disability. Everybody is staring at me. Oh, everybody. In my mind, there's a lot of people that are wondering, what's the deal? How do I approach him? Because mm-hmm. I did have a lot of friends beforehand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and so that was definitely, remember I told you, I don't like those distractions. I'm a focused person, need to get forward. But they had all these distractions going on. And then, you, are, you know, going back to a campus that is about 140 years old, you know, back in the late 1800s, they didn't really realize uh, you know, about wheelchair accessibility. So there was some challenges there. There really was. But, again, it was getting back to school, getting back with my friends, dating. Here's another thing. 
who the heck dates somebody in a wheelchair? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so, that, I mean, those were things that I was constantly <laughs> out of my mind. <laughs> well, only naturally, but what, what I hear, I don't, I mean, I hear now you have a tremendous attitude about it, but was, were you going through ups and downs then? I, I think that our audience would, it would be helpful to our audience, because um, you sound like you've so, you know, your, your, uh, your determination to, to be in life is so strong and so positive, but, I can imagine there were periods of ups and downs and hopelessness and well, what's going to happen to me. Or, or were you not that? Maybe you were just one of those people who just never, you know, let that yeah. happen. It, Louise, it's a, it's a great question. Uh, there were moments. I mean, I'm not a robot. I don't, you know, take the depression emotion exactly. and, and then turn it off. Um, I did get depressed at times. I mean, I got frustrated with things. And, yeah, I broke down and, you know, cried once in a great while here. I mean, there was I did have full emotions there. However, I made a conscious move of making sure that that depression would not overcome me. And, again, mm-hmm. I'm going to circle back on the support group of those friends and those family. Mm-hmm. Because if I didn't get back into school and if I didn't get back into the surroundings right away, I never would have, number one. And number two, I would have lost a lot of those relationships, mm-hmm. whether it be people just losing touch with me, me not, not feeling um, aggressive in trying to maintaining those relationships. So the way things played out, getting back to college was the key in building my character when it came to that mm-hmm. determination. You know, it, it, you're absolutely right, but it took a lot of courage to, it would have been easy enough for somebody uh, to just to kind of close off and give themselves the excuse, well, you know, I mean, I'm really, I'm in a wheelchair now and et cetera, et cetera, to close off and not, um, you know, go back into life. And, and it took a lot of courage, I would think, to confront, I mean, every single person that didn't know how to talk with you because you were now in a wheelchair and people that you used to, you know, um, having an open friendship with kind of looking away. I, you know, I, I, I think it took tremendous courage. I think that um, you could help our audience by um, letting them know what they need to do. They don't necessarily have to have had, again, the, the trauma that you had, but uh, facing lots of crises. What what did you tell yourself uh, when those really uncomfortable times came up? What did you say to yourself? You know, I just heard, you know, I, you had mentioned in my bio, I'm on the Board of Education, mm-hmm. and I have... I graduations uh, last Saturday. There were five in a row. And uh, our assistant superintendent of secondary education, Greg Walker, had made a quote out there, and it was really resounding because it really fit what my, I dealt with my life at that time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He says that there are no limitations except the ones that are self-imposed. That wow. mm-hmm. rang so true with my whole life. Mm-hmm. Yes, I was fearful of so many things, but I'm thinking to myself, I'm... I, I, I need to get over myself. I need to get beyond that. You know, I give you an example. Uh, I uh, I was in a class that um, spring semester uh, of 1990 called EPSC, Exceptional People in Society, and it was a group of about 600 students, and they were talking about people with different disabilities. Well, the professor had come up to me and asked me if I could talk and share my story in front of everybody. Now. I, I got to tell you, I'm one of these guys that in front of 30 people for a simple communications class for a five-minute speech, I'm going blank. So wow. I was very fearful. I had told him I have to think about it, and I slept on it, and I thought to myself, you know what, this is not only self-therapeutic for me, I really need to get the story out, I need to get over this fear of really talking in front of people. 
and I, he introduced me that next uh, that next um, class day, and I spoke for an hour and a half, and it was okay. just that feeling, the indescribable feeling of people having their attention on you. I'm thinking to myself, what was I afraid of? I put that in position on myself and restricted myself from really flourishing for that well, in front of that group. Well, you didn't restrict yourself for too long, Dale. I have well, to say, yeah. you're really an amazing example of, of you know, and it's, the reason why I bring up that idea of the fear and it takes courage is I think that sometimes when people are um, outwardly seem to, you know, get it all together and even with, you know, your disability. But I, I think it's important for people to know that inside many people who have that that outer uh, focus of, you know, having confidence and talking and whatever also have those fears inside. And uh, so I think I thank you for sharing that because I I think it's important for our audience to hear that if they're uh, struggling with anything like that uh, or any fears, that they can go ahead and do it anyway. Absolutely, absolutely. So, um, so here you you, so you graduated. I'm really kind of fascinated to hear after graduation you had a number of different interesting businesses. You were kind of a young entrepreneur. So, what was that all about? Didn't know what I had inside me after I graduated. So, uh, and I got to tell you, this is part of a family thing too. Is um, as soon as I graduated in 1991, and the job market's pretty bad now, but it was pretty bad back then. And uh, these were the days of 100 plus degree weather probably uh, averaging around three, four days a week. Well, my mom pushed me out, literally, and said, hey, mm-hmm. you need to get your resumes out and applications out. You need to get into your suit, and you really need to present yourself. You want to talk about being thrown to the wolves. At that point, <laughs> I was resentful. I'm like, you know what? Why don't I take some time off? But again, it's mm-hmm. self-motivation only gets you so far. That support mm-hmm. group was incredibly an incredible mm-hmm. foundation, and I, I owe a lot to my mom for pushing me that way, because I, within a couple of months, I did get a job as a not an inside sales representative, an outside sales representative, You're kidding. How going incredible. to account to account. Now, mind you, this is 2012, but back in 1990-91, they just passed the American with Disabilities Act. There were a lot of places that still were not adequately wheelchair accessible. So there were a lot of obstacles physically that I had to get over. You know, I, I talk about having a cell phone. I did have a cell phone back then. It was one of those big package phones. But mm-hmm. every time I would go to a new place, I would have to call them and say, hey, you know what, I'm in a chair. I was wondering if you can give me a hand up. You know, if there's a place that I went to with a couple of stairs and no ramp in the side or the, the back. It's all about getting from point A to point B. Am I going to be embarrassed? I'm going to give them a call to need help? No. I need Again, i got to get over myself, and I need to get from point A to point B. I need to get into that account. How am I going to get into that account? And that's kind of what rang true, and that was like the first experience I really had on a business level that I really needed to overcome my disability. And I think it just grew from there. I, I worked as an outside rep for a title company who held on mortgage brokers and bankers for about uh, several years. And, and then I jumped into a couple other things. I, you know, my mom and I partnered up, and uh, she, you know, she is brilliant when it comes to cutting hair, so we decided to open mm-hmm. our own shop. I, I, they, they wouldn't let me cut hair, so no worries there. <laughs> she did all that work, and I helped with the marketing and everything. We bought, bought that place in 95 and actually sold in 2005. Um, started an independent, excuse me, an independent film company with a fraternity brother of mine and had some 
wonderful experiences there in the early 2000s. And um, through all this, I actually was part of the um, Think First National Injury Prevention Foundation. I started in 1994, and I'm actually still a part of that organization. And what I do is I go to high schools and middle schools and talk about injury prevention. Mm-hmm. And over the last six years, now I'm in the national level. I'm in the National Board of Directors. We have a global identity. I mean, it's just a wonderful organization. So it's been going on 17 years then. So at this point, I do several things. I belong with Think First. I'm, I'm actually filling out my second term, elected term, on the, the number one district uh, outside Chicago when it comes to population, which is U46. It's an Elgin, South Elgin, Bartlett area of Illinois. And then I uh, also am a mortgage banker. So, yes, I'm still in real estate, and I'm in my 22nd year in real estate. And then what I'm doing is following my dream and making it a reality. I'm actually traveling not only locally but also nationally when it comes to keynote speaking and talking about overcoming fears and talking about overcoming adversities. And I talk about anecdotes about my own personal experience, people that have touched my lives, Mm -hmm. and really how I can help people on a professional and personal level. So it's been a wonderful ride, Louise. It's really, it's fascinating because it's almost as if, uh, again, you certainly wouldn't have asked for it, but, you know, as I said earlier in the show, sometimes uh, things happen that open up uh, parts of ourselves that we never even realize exist because we have to, when these things happen, we have to come up with new answers. And um, it sounds like um, not only are you a perfect example of it, but you've flourished with that. It's it's as if every challenge um, you had to find yourself coming up with a, a creative answer to solve it, uh, opened up like another possibility. I'm really kind of interested in that Think First um, National Injury Prevention Foundation. Tell us a little more about that. I think that's a fascinating organization. How, how did it start and, um, uh, you know, where, where do you go with that? So it started back in 1986. There were several neurosurgeons that were a part of, I believe, the American Association of Neurosurgeons. It might have been called a little uh, something a little different back in '86. Uh, they were tired of seeing all of these um, patients coming through the, the emergency room mm-hmm. and with these permanent injuries due to. Um, a, a mistake, a, a preventable type of d- decision, and whether it be, you know, in my case, the fall it could be diving, somebody wearing not wearing a bike helmet, which is incredibly important, mm-hmm. uh, drinking and driving, lack of seatbelt usage. These were preventable injuries. They wanted to start a nonprofit organization that had the span, uh, a national type of uh, presence and visibility to really educate through, you know, education, research, and policy to prevent these injuries. So what they did was they um, worked with several hospitals throughout the country and they developed a curriculum. Um, there's three programs, K through 12. There's Think First for Kids, Think First for Youth, and Think First for Teens that we have the presence all throughout uh, our nation. And we have about 160 chapters, not only in the U.S., but we also have a presence in Canada, a little bit in Central um, America, South America, England, uh, I, I believe the Far East, too. So we're in our 26th year, and so what they do is there's a national presence. However, we're broken up into individual chapters all throughout the U.S. So we do is we are, are asked by schools, whether or a health department, and, or the health, the health department over at the high school or middle school to bring us in. Now, mind you, 
and because of the economy, budget crises, that there's no money for education, well, there's really no excuse there because our uh, program is free. So mm-hmm. it's nice to get into mm-hmm. those schools mm-hmm. and really talk about our experience and how we can teach them to make sound choices, and that's what it comes down to. You know, uh, lately in the news, even in the last six months, there's been all this um, talk about um, young men on the football field. Yeah. Who is, is that a part of what you, you get involved Ab- with? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. We not only have um, our, our curriculum here, but we partnership up with other mm-hmm. brain organizations, and mm-hmm. we invite them to our annual conferences and mm-hmm. really talk about uh, brain injuries. You're, you're hearing more of suicides due to multiple concussions. We just had a, um, a, our team, the Chicago Bears, uh, Dave Dewerson, he had... Um, committed suicide, and it was due to multiple brain injuries. Incredible. And, uh, so Incredible. this was after autopsy and everything. There's really no assumption oh. there. It's, it's for a fact. And so, really? yes, there is oh. more of a presence when it comes to not only in the national level, but the collegiate and also high school. Incredible. I mean, uh, what a what a important service you're doing. And again, I can only keep saying that you turned your own um, challenges into not only creating a, a successful life yourself, but but really helping others. Uh, I think we're going to have to take a break, so let's get back to that. I want to hear about that other organization, the Resource Development and Voice for Injury Prevention Council. So we'll get back to that when, when we finish our break. Thank you. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Louise Cohen's new book, Changing Obstacles into New Possibilities, Strategies for Achieving Life Success and Satisfaction, gives us hope again that we can find our way out of the confusion and challenges of today's chaotic life. She shows you how to start getting a new sense of power back in your life by using inspirational quotes and practical skills to deal with your obstacles in new ways. You can order her book in paperback or Kindle edition at Amazon.com or on her website, www.positiveattitudecoaching.com. You can also order from her website her recent book that she co-authored with Deepak Chopra and Jack Canfield called Stepping Stones to Success. Experts share strategies for mastering business, life, and relationships. Be sure to visit PositiveAttitudeCoaching.com today. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Louise Cohen's Changing Obstacles into New Possibilities. To connect with Louise or her guests this week, please call 1-866-472-5788. It's toll-free, 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Good afternoon, everyone. We're speaking to my guest, Dale Spencer. Dale, before we... So I don't want to get to the end of the show and uh, not have people reach you. We did a very brief bio. How can our audience get your full bio and uh, and reach you uh, to connect with all these wonderful activities you're doing? You just took the words out of my mouth, Louise. The uh, best way to get a hold of me is, uh, you know, you had mentioned in the beginning, so right. you can go to my business page, which either you can do the web address, the facebook.com slash Dale 
J. Spencer, or you can just put into the search engine in Facebook, Dale J. Spencer, and then you click onto the page. It's the profile where I have a kind of a theater look with my, my turtleneck on. And, oh, uh, good. <laughs> and uh, you could just click like and then throw a message on there or great. a question. I would be more great. than happy to answer any question that's out there. Wonderful. That's great. Well, um, we were talking a little about this organization, Think First, uh, National Injury Prevention. I know that um, you also are involved, and in, actually you're currently chairperson for the Resource Development and Voice for Injury Prevention Council. What is that? Wow. So that is actually the, uh, a subsidiary of the Think First National, and it is uh, one of our major committees. Uh, the resource development, basically what I do along with the executive director and other board members, is we actually go to different corporations and talk to them about think first in our mission to see if there's any synergy between our two groups. In fact, mm-hmm. um, Debbie Gerhardstein, who's the executive director, her and I last week, we had a, an hour and a half presentation that we gave Hollister International, which is located in Libertyville, Illinois, and I thought it went pretty well, so we'll see if we're going to be part of their budget of 2013. We'll keep our fingers crossed. Well, that's very interesting because I think that what's happening today, uh, the fact that some funding is changing I think that really the key is uh, not to um, let those things go, but to do just what you're doing is to figure out how you can join uh, organizations that are nonprofit, can join with organizations that are profit, and and reach things at a higher level. You know, bring things to to the world and to the culture that people need without worrying about whether funding is stopped. Or you, do you know what I'm, I'm, I'm getting at? Yeah. Oh, I'm totally getting where you're at. And mm-hmm. you know what it's about, you know, not making excuses because whether exactly. there's a lack of funding or whatever, if exactly. there's something that makes sense to a corporation, they're going to listen. Exactly. And, and, and that has to do with pertinence and relevance to their um, their corporation, their business, the way they do business, not only nationally but internationally, and see if there is a good fit. And this can go with any type of industry that's out there. I mean, I as a mortgage banker, I'm purely commissioned. So having a reciprocal referring relationship mm-hmm. with uh, my power partners is paramount to my business. Yeah, and so um, what, I, what I also like is going on is uh, that um, – I think businesses are beginning to become more aware of the power that they have, not so much in the money, but in being able to help the culture, you know. And uh, so I, I like that that's happening. A lot of businesses are, are, are becoming aware that they have the power to do things for others beside the money. Absolutely. Yeah, so so that's great. Well, so I, I mean, I, I I wonder where you're going in the future. You you've already created so many things. Do you have some thoughts about what you want to do for the future? You know, I, I know mortgage banking. <laughs> I know mortgage banking very well. But like I said, my dream turning reality is becoming is a, being a nationwide keynote speaker, uh-huh. and that's what it comes mm-hmm. down to. Mm-hmm. I I I, li- I love traveling, whether it's internationally or nationally, um, and I like to to push that message out there. So how do you connect with um, people to become a keynote speaker? How do you get your so message out I there? I have a business development firm that I work with, uh-huh. and I just also hired a publicist to get my name Great. out there locally in the national media. I'm very excited about that. So it's a lot of hours, though. When you're juggling two careers, you know you have to make some money during the mortgage banking, but at the same time you have to work on 
all these multiple facets of my business plan through the, the keynote speaking, mm-hmm. whether it has become mm-hmm. the social media, the actual speech itself. You know, I am going to become an author, and don't get me wrong, it's not the top three things I need to do <laughs> with my life, but it is paramount to my success and my visibility as a speaker, and I understand the importance mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. So. No, and I do, I was thinking of that as you were speaking, not just to tell your story, but... Um, uh, more importantly, the thoughts uh, and feelings you went through to overcome these obstacles, and uh, and that is something that really uh, would be good for uh, an audience to to read to pick up. You know, so so actually, the question I want to throw out to you is: is our listeners maybe listening for many reasons? But I have a feeling you have a message that doesn't necessarily just apply to someone who may have had a, a critical injury. Uh, what are some of the thoughts that you could share with our audience as to how to create um, possibility from crisis? Interesting point, Louise, because it's funny, because my critical situation, my traumatic injury, mm-hmm. brings me unique perspective but not the only perspective. This is something that really opened my eyes on many different levels, become more I am successful person, both professionally and, and um, personally. So exactly. we're dealing with mm-hmm. not only the traumatic injury, but my work as a, a business person, as a speaker, as somebody that belongs to a civic organization, a charitable organization, mm-hmm. my message can be pertinent to many different audiences Exactly, out there. exactly. I mean, because the, the message of overcoming crisis, like in the beginning of the show, I talked about the many crises we all share, and uh, but the way to overcome them is uh, universal, really, isn't it? Did, did did you have any, uh, we didn't talk about that because that's a very important part for healing, did you have any uh, spiritual support when you were going through that? And I don't necessarily mean a particular church or a temple, or, but, you know, the idea of something higher than yourself. Church helped me on a spiritual level. You know, I'm always open to reading new books when it comes to different types of philosophies mm-hmm. and theologies and um you know, I'm a looter of ideas. Mm-hmm. You know, I like to steal everything that I have, but if there is something that I might not ascribe to the, the whole philosophy, but if there's a couple of ideas that I can grab out of it, well, then I'm gonna, I think that's going to make mm-hmm. me a better person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, so what would you say would be something you'd like to leave our audience with, some thoughts about, uh, which was the theme today, is determination, which allows crisis to turn into opportunity. What would be some some thoughts you might want to leave our audience with as we get closer to the end of the show? Well, gosh, Louise, i, I, I got to tell you. A million you, of them, right. That's why you've got to get your book, Dale. <laughs> you've got to get your book written, so you've got that whole... You, you are funny, but you know, <laughs> when it comes to leaving thoughts that, you know, you look at me, and yes, I did have a traumatic injury, but I got to tell you, I've had exposure to people that are in an infinitely worse situation than I am, mm-hmm. and they just still have the the uh, inspiration and the wonderful attitude to really move on. We're talking people that are quadriplegics that can barely mm-hmm. move their arms wow. as well as not their legs. So, I mean, there's so many people that have it such worse than I do, and the things that they have accomplished post-injury in their lives uh, astound me. It blows mm-hmm. my mind. So I feed off of that, absolutely. Well, I really mm-hmm. do. And so if you're having a down day, yeah, it could be a bad day, but you know what? You have to make it where tomorrow's going to even be a, a better day, and that's what it comes down to. And it sounds like simple philosophy, but you have to live it day by day. You can, and, only and it really, the, you can only apply it. You can't just talk about it. Absolutely. I mean, it really is about just 
getting up the next day and starting again, isn't it? It's just really starting all over again each day, and uh, uh, so uh, and you never know what you're feeling today. When you wake up tomorrow, there could be something completely new and surprising for you. You know, the busier you get, the more challenges you have, and it's how do you right. overcome those challenges? It really is. Absolutely. So, well, uh, it's uh, really so interesting to hear. Whatever happened with that film career? <laughs> Did you? Uh... Well, it's interesting because my uh-huh. my uh, former business partner had moved out to L.A. and he's uh, pursuing his dream, and I uh-huh. decided to go a different way. However, I still have used that production experience over the last several years. We have a partnership, meaning Think First, with Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation, who mm-hmm. gave us money two years in a row. Number one, to do a, a voice for injury prevention training video, which I produced, and then also um, the uh, Think First team video, which is shown all over the country, and that was the subsequent year that I produced also. So oh, it was, yeah, so I'm still <laughs> utilizing my production expertise. Yeah, it is interesting how you've combined a lot of your uh, background to um, to bring things to, like, to another level. It's, yeah. uh, it's, it's, it's really fascinating to see. Well, um, so are your, I'm sure your family and friends must be so, so grateful and happy that you uh, are flourishing so much. They are. I mean, you know, with me, you know, surviving that injury was, I was only halfway there. And the things that I've accomplished and becoming independent and knowing that I'm really moving on with my life and not just concentrating on my injury and being in a wheelchair itself, mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. alleviates a lot of pressure and a lot of um, heartache off of them because mm-hmm. I have moved forward. Mm-hmm. And it's not the case in, 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 in many examples. And if there's anybody that's out there, whether it be a physical or mental injury, I mean, that support group is just so important. And I know I've repeated that several times, but I've really come a long way because of that. Yeah, so if someone, um, say, wanted to uh, get in touch with either of those organizations, uh, or do they do they have websites, the Think First, or the Research Development and Voice? Well, the Research Research Development is within Think First, so you can go to... Oh, www. I see. Okay, great. No, that's okay. Um, www.thinkfirst.org. That's the okay. best way to get a hold of that organization. And, uh, again, if there's a lot of parents that are listening out there and would think that this would be an appropriate type of program for their school... And they can, you know, maybe be the conduit between us and then at the uh-huh. school to get a hold of somebody and a contact there, so we can set up a program. You know, it's interesting as I as I said earlier that um, these issues have been coming up in the news a lot, uh, and I'm just wondering, uh, certainly because you started very early in this, why has it taken us so long to? Uh, protect our kids and and people in sports, for instance. That seems to be a big place where there's injury and and everybody kind of looks the other way. And I, again, I'm I'm not a big sports person, so you know I, I don't. Why why do you think that it's taken us so long to 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 be practical? I think part, I think part of it is funding. You know, mm-hmm. we as an organization have been around for 25 years, but we're always fighting for funding. Uh-huh. Um, insurance companies, uh, you know. <laughs> The, the first thing, if they have to cut back, the first thing that they're going to come back, cut back mm. is the prevention programs. I see, and, yeah. yeah. And yeah. That's, that's huge. And it's just unfortunate because on a financial um, situation there, they're kind of cutting themselves short because the money that is going to result as a, a spinal cord injury or traumatic brain injury 
is, you know, my, my situation was $250,000 back in 1988 from the beginning of the operation oh my to goodness. the end of rehab, and that was and 1988. That was oh, my goodness, so, I can't even imagine what it is today. Yeah, and the, the, the front-end cost of that prevention, uh, prevention education it, it can be costly, but guaranteed it's going to save a lot more when you have that exposure uh-huh. to our youth. But most of these injuries happen when it was between 15 and 24. Well, and, you know, and I, I think also the other part of it is, you know, when I was listening to you in the, in the beginning of the show about you and your friends and you were kind of, you've done all these things and you were walking on this trestle and you know, there's something about young people that uh, they just don't, they feel they're invincible, right? <laughs> oh, that's absolutely the attitude. That's what I did. I yeah. didn't realize the ramifications of what happened. And so, so how, so how to, you know, um, kind of awaken our young people that you, you can have uh, courage and do things, but to, to find a little balance. And I think that's part of the other big challenge uh, with um, getting our young people to be safe, you know, is uh, it's just that feeling of we're invincible, you know. Agreed. Agreed. We don't we, we don't think about the fact that we're going to be ever going to be hurt, uh, and this has come up also now with professional football, hasn't it? Do you all get involved in that at all? So we we are involved. I, I know that we have uh, some partnerships with other organizations that actually have touched the NFL. So again, mm-hmm. it starts with our high school education and putting mm-hmm. the proper equipment and. Uh, mm-hmm. Having our leadership knowing that if somebody has a concussion, get them off the mm-hmm, field right away. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you know, I think thing. the good thing, and oh, I'm so sorry, I think we're going to have to close soon. I, I really could go on with this. It's so interesting. And I'm not even a sports person. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think what's good is that um, there is um, a listening now for uh, people to realize that, say, our top athlete does have some limitations or our young football star you know is human and you know that kind of thing is kind of more of an opening we kind of put those uh, people on pedestals and heroes and nothing's going to ever happen to them you, you understand what i'm saying absolutely absolutely <laughs> so, but you I, know there's got to be some common sense when it comes to right. the leadership meaning the coaches the managers and so forth to exactly, uh, understand exactly. when somebody is hurt that this you know it, maybe exactly. get them off the field well, thank you so much. It's been such a joy having you, and, and just hearing your joy has just been wonderful, Dale. To, to, what an inspiration Thanks, for those. Thanks, Louise. I appreciate yeah. that. And so uh, uh, I hate to say goodbye, but we will be getting together again next week. Um, I look forward to getting together with my audience uh, next Tuesday, 12 Pacific, 2 Central, and 3 Eastern. And I also like to always close with some quote. And so this is a quote, interestingly enough, by Tommy Lasorda. And it says, the difference between the impossible and possible lies in a man's determination. So goodbye, everybody. And I look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, as we bring you more inspirational stories and tips for success on Louise Cohen's Changing Obstacles into New Possibilities. See you then.